Welcome to the 26 West Church Sunday Gathering Podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching helps you experience life in Jesus. My name's Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to be together. How are you guys doing this morning? Good, good. Hey, uh, kids, it's good to have you here with us, all right? Uh, I'll be talking to you a little bit throughout this gathering as well. Uh, I'm glad to have you here. Levi, I got my eyes on you, buddy. So here we go. Hey, last week, we were in the halfway point of Colossians. That's where we were at. And we kicked off chapter 3. If you've got your Bible, start turning to Colossians 3. Uh, we, we got to that chapter, and it started a new flow of thought from Paul. Big picture, what we're talking about is what does it look like to live as those made alive by Christ? What does this look like? What does this life look like? We've been raised with Christ. We have been transferred into a new kingdom, into a new family. This is the gospel. But how do we behave in this family? What does life look like in this kingdom? This is the questions that Paul has for us. Paul just gave the negative warning in the verses uh, that we covered last week. In this family of God, in this kingdom, as those made alive by Christ, we do not behave according to the patterns of the old self. We don't engage in the sins that mark the old man and the old flesh. This is like uh, parents that, uh, kids, how many, of you, how many of you, your parents ever got down on a knee and said to them, in our family, we do not behave like this, right? You've had that talk before, right? My kid has had that. In our family, in the Collins family, we do not hit. We do not bite. We do not put ourselves first. Like, we, we've had that conversation. Right? Kids, you've had this conversation before uh, with, with your parents. I'm sure of it. Paul is saying, in this family, we do not behave according to the ways of the flesh. You belong to a new family now that behaves in a different way. And last Sunday, we closed by saying, this is important to know, but it doesn't matter if you're in your marriage, your parenting, you, you know, family work. It's not just enough to know what not to do. You got to know what to do as well, right? There's a big difference between knowing what not to do and knowing what to do. You can't just say, well, I grew up in a dysfunctional home. My parents' marriage was falling apart, so now I know what to do. Like, no, you don't. You just know what not to do which is a massive difference. And this really brings us to our text today. Colossians 3, verses 12 to 17. Here, Paul moves forward into what we are to do in this new kingdom and this new family of God. And I just want to tell you, like, friends, this text holds uh, a really special place in my heart. I, I love this text. Uh, it was actually read at our wedding. Um, it was one of the two passages that was, that was really centered on our wedding. And uh, in the spirit of just giving honor where honor is due, actually, my uncle, Art, who married us, is here today. And so, it's Art, it's great to have you here. Um, he's been serving as a missionary with YWAM for, for, for decades. Art, it's great to have you. Uh, Kelsey and I, we, we had this text read because we wanted these scriptures to be what shaped our marriage. And, and my prayer this morning is that this text, this Colossians 3, verses 12 to 17, would be our collective vision for all of life as well. So what I want to do is let's pray, let's get into it, and then we'll dive in. So Jesus, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this text. I thank you for this vision that you give for this new family and this new kingdom, what it looks like to live in it. Lord, I pray that you would be big in this place. I pray that you would be what is memorable. I pray that you would have your way. Jesus, would you elevate our view of you? Would you elevate our view of your gospel? And Holy Spirit, right now, would you be stirring in our hearts? Lord, to, to know how to respond to you. I pray for the children here that normally aren't even in here. Would you be working in their hearts as well? Lord, would they hear your good news and respond to it all of their days? And all God's people said, amen. All right, Colossians 3, 12 to 17. We got three movements we're walking through this morning. Number one, this one's gonna be familiar to you. How do we live as those made alive with Christ? Number one, 
Get your new clothes on, part two. If you're here last week, you know what I'm talking about. If not, listen to the, the message last week. Uh, I wasn't going to come up with a better title, uh, so we're just going to run it back. We're just going to run it back. Uh, and this isn't me getting cute. This is what Paul literally says here. So verse 12, let's jump in. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Again, this isn't me coming up with the image. Clothe yourselves. Get your clothes on with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. See, what's happening here is the previous verses called us to take off the old clothes of sexual immorality and sinful anger. If you're like, hey, I feel like I I need to slow down and talk about that, go listen to last week's message. Also, I'd love to grab a cup of coffee. I'd love to chat with you more about this. Last week, we said take off the old clothes of sexual immorality and sinful anger. Since you are alive in Christ, they don't fit you anymore. Right? This is what we talked about at the end of last week. Since you are alive in Christ, those old clothes of sinful anger, those old clothes of sexual immorality, they don't fit you anymore. You have been given new clothes in Christ. The flesh is ill-fitting clothing for those who are alive in Jesus, have been raised with Jesus, and this is who we are. Get your new clothes on. That old man is covered in old, tattered clothes, and you have been given new garments in Christ. But the question is, what do these new clothes look like? What do these clothes look like? See, what Paul does here is list five characteristics or five virtues that mark the new clothes we have in Christ. This is what they look like. First, compassion, sympathy, empathy, tender care for another, a tender care for others' situations. Second, kindness. Third, humility. And humility is not just like you should think of yourself as the worst. You are you're, you're horrible. Just push yourself down. You know, you just you think of yourself as small. That's not what they're saying. Humility is not thinking like less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility is saying that the self, me, is not the lens I look through all of life through. Humility is not thinking, you know, uh, 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 less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Third was humility. Fourth, gentleness. And fifth, patience. Ultimately, these five virtues, they look like Christ, right? They look like Christ. Paul is saying, put on Christ. Uh, Just think about the life of Jesus, right? Like, all through the Gospels, he has compassion on the crowds, and then he acts. That's like this, Jesus sees, he has compassion on the crowds, and then he acts. I mean, think about how patient Jesus is with the disciples, right? How often are they getting stuff wrong, and then Jesus is just like, patiently (laughs) enduring with them, right? Jesus himself, he self-identifies in Matthew 11 and says that he is gentle and humble of heart. When he says, this is who I am, he says he is gentle and humble in heart, and therefore he says, come to me, all who are, you know, weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest, rest. This is who Jesus is, humble and gentle. See, these five things, they look like Jesus, but they also look like the opposite of the values of our world. These these five things, they look like Jesus, but they're antithetical to the values of our world, which says things like gentleness is a liability. Don't be gentle. That's just a great way to get walked all over, right? No, I've not heard somebody say, you know what my aspiration is in life? To be really gentle. Like, I I rarely see that uh, on the mission statement, you know, like uh, of uh, of one's life, to be gentle. You know, there's this reality of people saying, no, it's much more like to be strong because our world confuses gentleness with weakness. You know, patience, our world would say, like, I don't got time for that, right? I ain't got time for patience. There's a reality like humility. I cannot think of a value 
that our world values less than humility. To color this in, this is, this is not me. I, I can't make this stuff up. Uh, one of my favorite sports analysts, uh, he literally said his New Year's resolution, and I, I listen to him all the time, he said his New Year's resolution was to literally be less humble. It's literally what he said. I'll tell you, he's succeeding. Let me tell you. He is succeeding. <laughs> he said his, and he says all the time, my, what was my New Year's resolution? To be less humble, just brazen. Our world is marked by pride, not humility. These, these clothes, Paul's saying, they, they look different from our world. But the question is, are we wearing them? Are we wearing them? Is our leadership marked by humility? Is our leadership marked by compassion? Is it marked by kindness? Is the way that we interact with others marked by humility, putting them first, putting ourselves last, right? Like, is the way we parent marked by patience? Kids in the room don't answer that, right? Is our life marked by these? And it's interesting that Paul picked these five. He doesn't say, you know, clothe yourselves and take control. Clothe yourselves with power and pride, you know, grit and grind. Like, he chooses these. I'd much prefer the other list. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Big picture. He's saying, since you are in Christ, clothe yourself with the things of Christ. Wear the clothes that reflect who you are. Wear the clothes that reflect who you are. Wear the clothes that look like Christ since you are in Christ. All right, kids in the room, I don't want you to miss this. Uh, you know, we're in Oregon. We got, we got some allegiances here, right? Like, I have a question. Uh, uh, how many of you are Oregon Duck fans in the room? All three of you. This is, this is good news for Beaver. Uh, Beaver fan. How many of you are Beaver fans in the room? A lot more. Oh, how many of you are like, I honestly don't care? There we are. There we go. All right, here's the deal. Duck fans in the room. You are not wearing black and orange on game day, right? You're not going to be caught in black and orange on game day. Like, like Beaver fans, you're not rocking green and yellow or apparently like chrome and black and all the other colors that the Ducks apparently use. Like, like Oregon, make up your mind. Are you a green and yellow or are you like, all, like metallic is your, is your color here? Like, here's the deal. I'm a Seahawks fan. Yeah, I'm a Seahawks fan. So I don't wear a 49ers jersey. I don't, you're not going to catch me dead in that thing, right? Like, like, you wear your team's color. And here's the deal. Like, if you're a 49ers fan in the room, it's not too late. It's not too late. Wisdom is calling. And it's saying, turn from your foolish ways. And as long as there's breath in your lungs, there's hope for you. Never too late to turn. Am I wearing green and blue up here coincidentally? I don't know. You tell me. Paul's saying, get your new clothes on. Get your new clothes on. Wear the clothes that reflect who you are. Obviously, wearing sports color, I mean, that's, that's a silly example. But kids, I hope, I hope you can get the idea here. And here's the big idea. Don't miss this. Activity flows from identity. Our activity flows from our identity. See, Paul's reminding the Colossians, and now us, of our identity. Look at the beginning of verse 12 again. If you've got your Bibles, turn there. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, brothers and sisters, in Christ, we have an identity of chosen. We have an identity of dearly loved. We have an identity of holy. This is who you are. Children, if you have put your faith in Jesus, this is who you are. You are chosen by God. You are dearly loved by God. You are set apart holy by God. It is secure because it is accomplished by Christ. It is kept safe by Christ, as we talked about last week. God is pursuing you. Like, how, how do you know, Stephen? Like, because you're here right now. 
You're here hearing worship to Christ. You're here hearing somebody open up the Bible. God is after you. Children, like God is pursuing you because you were born into a family that you were going to hear the good news of Jesus and were raised where you'd hear the things of Christ. God is after you. God has placed his love on you long before you started coming after him, right? God placed it on you a long time ago. He has set you apart to live in a distinct way as well. Chosen, let's, let's not miss this. Chosen means loved by God. Yes, amen and amen and amen. Chosen means loved by God and called to live for God. Douglas Moo, he says it well. Quote will be up on the screen. The point, he's talking about this text. The point is that God has chosen his people, not simply to be his people, but to live a certain kind of life. And that life, is bound up with the calling and cannot be separated from it. Church family, we have a responsibility. You and I collectively, we have a responsibility chosen by God to live out who we are before the world. We have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to get our new clothes on. This is not for kicks and giggles and just some like cutesy thing. Like we are called to this to get our new clothes on and show the world a better wardrobe than the tattered garments of sin and death. Clothe yourself with Christ and with his ways. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. We are called to this, friends. Are you with me? We are called to this. Verse 13, let's keep moving. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Verse 13, this is, this is the five virtues in action. Bearing with, forgiving, living with others. Something I love about this, uh, this text, something I just love about the scriptures, is that Paul deals with reality. He doesn't paint this like romantic vision of the church. He's not like, man, I'm just going to try to oversell you and underdeliver here. Let's just paint a really romantic view of the church. Like, and my job here is also to like st- say the truth. To not just say what we want to hear, to not just say what our itching ears want to hear, but to like really present the truth. And here's the deal. Like somebody's got to say this. Like community sometimes is amazing. Sometimes it's easy. Like, right? It's, that's a gift. But sometimes it's just bearing with each other. Like sometimes it's forgiving each other. And I, I'm a pastor of community groups here. So like I'm not trying to, again, I'm not trying to like, if you get in a group, man, it's just going to be the best thing ever. Like sometimes I might be bearing with one another. Like uh, Christian community in the church is not about creating some like Avengers squad of like all awesome, like best friends, no awkward, like no hard, no bearing with. Like that doesn't exist, first of all, because where there's people, there's sin. Like, which means if you're there, your community group's going to be, I have sinners in it, right? Like there's a reality here. Like this doesn't exist. This doesn't exist. Christian community is a gift that God uses to refine us and to grow us See, I need that person that's hard for me to love. I need that person that requires extra grace. I need that person that rubs me the wrong way. I need that person that votes differently from me. I need that person who, who, who thinks differently than me, that grew up with a different cultural background than me. I need them all to help me grow. I don't have unlimited wisdom. Like I need, I have blind spots. I need others to help fill in those gaps. Yes, united by Christ. But I need the differences. I need the diversity of opinion. I need those that are hard for me to love to help me grow. You don't have to be patient with people that don't require patience. Like, right? Here's the deal. Being a church family means 
You're doing real life with people that you wouldn't necessarily choose. God chose. Like, right? I, last time I checked, you didn't choose your family. It is what we got. Right? Like, but the point is, these aren't the people we chose. God chose. Being a family means we stick it out together. And I'm not talking, like, there's good reasons to leave it. I'm not talking about overlooking dysfunctional things and just taking the spiritual abuse. None of that. I'm not talking about anything. I'm talking about, like, a consumeristic mindset that goes into things like, how do, what do I get out of it? And just kind of bouncing from thing to thing, you know, just going basically from, you know, consumerism to consumer, just trying to find the best thing that, like, fits all of our preferences. That, 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 that's what I'm trying to address here. Let's not rob ourselves of the very thing God's likely using to help us become more like him. Like, like church, again, I'm here to tell us what is true. The reality is there are seasons of enjoying one another. I really love our community group. Like, there are seasons of enjoying one another, but also seasons of bearing with one another. And as the text says as well, also forgiving each other. Look at the, look at the end of there, verse 13. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Again, activity flows from identity. Since you are forgiven, since you are forgiven, this is who you are. Your identity, church family, is spotless. It is cleansed. It is washed by the blood of Jesus. It has nailed your sin to the cross, canceled your debt, took your sins and separated them as far as the east is from the west, right? Like, since you are so forgiven by Christ, therefore forgive, right? Like, this, this isn't just like, do it because it's nice. Like, this is because it's already been done for you. This just echoes Jesus' words, Sermon on the Mount. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Since you have been given compassion, since you have been shown kindness by God, be compassionate and kind with others. God has been so gentle with us. He doesn't put us on blast for our sin. You know, shout from a megaphone from heaven. You know, like, look at Stephen down there. Like, he, he is so gentle with us. Right? Like, he doesn't demean us. He doesn't shame us. He is gentle. So, therefore, we are to be gentle with others. Patience. Has, has anybody been shown patience by God in the room? Like, like, I know I have. Like, how patient has God been with you and I? Right? Like, if God can be patient with me. I, I talk about a lot. I got kicked off my high school baseball team for cussing out my coach. If God can be patient with me hard-headed, you know, like hard-hearted, like a stubborn me, then Stephen, you can go be patient with others. And humility. My goodness. Jesus models the way of humility and came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So we are called to be humble. Well, just think about it. Like this is mind-blowing. Jesus Christ God incarnate, second member of the Trinity, Lord of lords, King of kings, preeminent, supreme over all, the one who by whom all things are created, the one who holds all things together. If he is humble, how much more should we? Like, how much more should we? If Jesus, God incarnate, is humble, how much more should humility just be our native posture? Amen? See, all of our action. It's simply a reaction to what God has already done for us. All of our action is just a reaction to what God has already done for us. See, our life is to be a reflection of the one who's already done it all. We're called to look like Jesus because Jesus has already done it for us. We're called to get these new clothes on 
which are the clothes of Christ, the ways of Christ. Are you with me? All right. Let's go back to Colossians. Covered verses 12 and 13. Let's keep moving. The supreme way we do this, verse 14 tells us, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. See, the center of the new outfit, if you will, the, the logo of the jersey, if you will, is love. Put on love. Love is the supreme virtue that is over it all and also holds it all together. Love is the very heart of God. And in a world that wants to redefine love by the minute, thankfully God paints the eternal picture clearly for us of what love is in 1 John 4, verses 7 through 11. Uh, this also was the other passage read at our wedding. So 1 John 4, 7 through 11. Uh, let's look at it together. Dear friends, John says, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Pause it. This is God is love, not love is God. Our world has gotten that confused. God is love. He defines what it is. Love is not God. God is love. Verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. God is love. So being loving is about reflecting God. It's, it's compelling one another, spurring each other on to become more like God. The supreme reality of love is not a feeling. Uh, feelings aren't bad, but like the supreme reality is, is, is not a feeling for love. The supreme reality of love is the action of Jesus dying as the sacrifice for our sins. So being loving is not first about making others feel something. Not that that's bad, but first, being loving is not making someone feel something. It's about reflecting this supreme act to others. Like being loving ultimately is putting yourself last. It's sacrificing for others. It's considering others more significant than ourselves. It's ultimately reflecting what Christ has done for us at great cost for himself, bringing us life. So when we do that, when we reflect that, when we take on something ourselves for the betterment of another, like that is reflecting the supreme act of love. That is what is loving. Living in accordance with the supreme act of others, sharing the supreme act with others, this is ultimately loving. We don't get to define love in our image. It is already defined in the image of Jesus. We don't get to define love in our image. It's already defined in the image of Christ. God is love. Paul is saying the primary piece of clothing, again, the logo of our new clothes jersey, is love. Is love. Again, just, I've got kids, are you with me? I know parents were like 75% here, maybe at best, right? Are you with me? All right. If you're taking notes, kids, if, if you're taking notes here, we've been talking, number one, the big picture, what we got going on. Number one, how do we live as those made alive with Christ? What's the positive vision of this new kingdom, this new family? It's first, get your clothes on, part two. And then number two, you can go to it. Let Christ saturate to your core. Let Christ saturate to your core. Let's look at verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. See, love, it leads to peace. 
Peace is not merely the absence of conflict. It is the presence of harmony and flourishing. Peace is not just the absence of conflict, but the presence of harmony and flourishing. And again, this is echoes that Hebrew word shalom that we've been talking about, the way things ought to be. But notice, this isn't just any peace. This is the peace of Christ. Let his peace rule in your hearts. Jesus is Lord over all. But the question is, is he ruling? Is he presiding over? Is he bringing peace to your heart? See, this text, it, it begs a question this morning. What rules your heart? What rules your heart? Is it Christ and his peace? Or is it anxiety and fear? And, and let me be clear, this isn't like wagging a finger like, well, you oughta. This is a fresh invitation to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and let him rule over our hearts and to experience his life, which is a life of peace. Like, brothers and sisters, part of my job is to remind us of the truth. Jesus is Lord over all, so you are safe. Jesus is Lord over all, you are safe. Jesus paid it all, so you are loved. Remember who you are, knowing this, knowing who this Christ is, knowing this union that you have with Christ, setting our hearts and our minds, as we talked about last week, on these things. This is the pathway to peace. See, some of us, we're, we're looking for peace. But if we do not center it on Christ, we will not find it. For he is the prince of peace. If you're looking for peace this morning, we must center our search on Jesus. But notice this peace of Christ. It's not just to rule over our hearts, but also our relationships as well. The peace of Christ is not only internal, although amen and amen it is, but it's also relational. Look at what Paul says there in verse 15. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. See, the peace of Christ is a call to be a people of peace. A people marked by harmony, not division. A people marked by love, not strife. A people marked by forgiveness, not bitterness. Showing the world what it looks like to disagree well as a family. To have unity in diversity to have a different opinion, but be one in Christ, to major on the things of Christ, to be one unified in Christ, but have differences and disagreements on all kinds of things, but not dividing. And the question is, have we been marked by this? Have we really been marked by this? I think in some ways, yes. But I think sadly, in many ways, no. Again, my, my job up here is not just to tell us what feels good, right? But the truth will set us free. As we talked about last, we've got to turn the lights on of confession. We must reckon with the reality that the church over the past three years, including ours, we are not immune from this, had division, had strife, had slander. The church was marked by these things over mask protocols, over election results, over COVID policies, over racial justice. Like, I'm old enough to remember these things, and so are you. Like, we're not going to sweep this under the rug and act like it didn't happen. And I think we're honest. In many ways, we'd like a do-over on how we handled a lot of this. I think in many ways, we did not embody wearing uh, the, the new clothes of Christ, but looked just like the rest of the world. I think in many ways, we'd like a do-over. But here's the good news. God is gracious. 
He's not holding these things over our head, but he's inviting us into a better way. I'm not here to, to, to shame you. I'm here to invite you to, to a better way, the way of a life, the way of putting on these new clothes of Christ. Because here's the reality. I think we're going to get some more shots to be salt and light in the, in the, in the months ahead. I think we're going to get a shot to, to do a do-over here because uh, I, I, I think this is a safe prediction here. I don't foresee the next election season, which is right around the corner, being just marked by utter peace, utter love, utter you know, patience, just unity and shalom in our midst. I, I, I don't foresee that happening. So I think we have an opportunity here to show a better way, to be unified, not in a donkey or an elephant, but in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and show a world, a hope for unity in a world marked by division, to show the world harmony in one of hostility and strife. Amen? Amen. Will we receive this invitation? What will be the center of our table? Like, would it be Christ in this gospel? I... What hope is there for the world to experience peace and unity and love if the church can't even do it? This is what it means to be salt and light, a city on a hill showing the world a better way. Let's receive the invitation. Our world is dying for it. It has no idea how to do it. Let's show the better way, brothers and sisters. All right. Let's keep moving. Verse 16. In light of all this, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. See, what Paul's calling the church, who is is richly filled with this message, wisdom and word of Christ. He's saying, let this word, let this message of Christ, let this person of Christ, let it dwell richly in us. Let it sink into the core of who we are. Would it dwell richly in us? Would the word of God, would the word of Christ dwell in us richly? And an image that came to mind with us, I was trying to think like, man, how can, how can we really help this? Especially if we've got kids in the room, how do we help this sit, uh, sink in? And the, the image that came to mind was this, this carnitas recipe that we make. Uh, some of you are like, hey, I put up with the sports illustrations a lot with you, Stephen. Well, here's some food for you. Here you go. Uh, we lived in Arizona for about 10 years. They can keep the 120 temperatures, but we're taking the carnitas recipe with us, okay? Uh, here you go. So this carnitas recipe, what you do is you take this fatty pork shoulder butt, which if you just start there, you're already off to a fantastic start. You take this, this pork shoulder butt, you, you cover it in this wonderful blend of chili, chili powder, you got salt and pepper, you cover it up with some uh, spices here, you, you put some, some beef broth in this thing, and you fire the sucker up to 450. And you let it get that nice crust with the nice crispiness on it, right? And then what happens is all that fat starts to render down. And you get this beautiful, beautiful concoction down at the bottom that's just full of flavor. And what you do is you lower this thing to 250 and let it go low and slow for about eight hours. And I don't know why you're not taking notes. This is wisdom. Like, what are you doing? This is wisdom from the desert coming here to tell you how to make carnitas. So, so you let it go low and slow. And what you're doing is you're constantly like basting this thing every 30 minutes to an hour. You, you want the juices to soak this sucker up, right? And what you have after eight hours is you have this amazing pull apart, I mean, just fall off the bone, just soaking up. Like you want every little bit of flavor to soak up into the sucker to make the best tacos. This is rich, flavorful carnitas tacos. And then what you do is you put some, some onion on there, cilantro, get your favorite salsa, the queso fresco, the whole thing. Amazing. And the kingdom of God is like coming, like wonderful. And some of you are definitely doing Mexican food for lunch now after this, right? What Paul is saying 
is let Christ not only be the clothes we wear over our skin, but would he get under our skin and saturate us to our core? Like we, you, know, you don't want all the juice just on the outside. You want all of that goodness to soak up to the center and saturate the whole thing so the whole thing is bursting with flavor. So let Christ not only be the clothes we wear over our skin, but would he get under our skin and saturate us to our core? Would Christ and his word dwell in us richly, truly, to the core of who we are, changing our whole lives? Amen? get to the center of our beings? Would Christ saturate us to our core? See, Paul says to this people marked by the message of Christ, dwelling richly in them, to teach and to admonish each other. He says, what are you to do? This people, you're to teach and admonish one another. Teaching means educating in the truth, and admonishing means warning of what happens when we stray from the truth. We need both. Teaching the truth, warning of what happens when we stray from the truth. Look what Paul says in verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Yeah, you know, read that. Think of Carnitas. You're never gonna, <laughs> forever going to think of Carnitas differently here. Let that, let that dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. What I want to say here is, is we all have a collective responsibility to learn and to teach right doctrine and right living. Every single one of us, we have a collective responsibility to learn right doctrine, to learn right living, and then to teach it, to admonish others into this. See, the... These things, they need to be taught. They need to be enforced. They need to be expected from every single pocket of our church family. This isn't just like some guy's job on stage to teach these things, to enforce these things, to expect these. This isn't just your community group leader's job. This is all of our collective responsibility to teach and admonish. All of us, you, me, collectively, us. This is what we are called to. Some of you are thinking, yeah, but what about grace? Yes, grace. Amen and amen, grace. We don't have right doctrine if we don't understand grace. We don't, we don't understand right living if we're not giving grace. But the church cannot be a place where we just give attaboys and turn a, a, a blind eye to things that are unhealthy or going against the way of Christ. Like we are called to teach and to admonish one another. We are called to correct, as the text says, in all wisdom. We are called to get into each other's lives. My life is not private and secret. My life is, is not, my marriage is not a secret. Like, you have a responsibility as one of the body of Christ, as the brothers and sisters of Christ, to call me out for my good, in love, with gentleness, please. Like, you know, like if you see me being harsh with my kids and not embodying the Father's heart, we have a collective responsibility to teach and to admonish one another. Some of us, we've been taught that like our marriage and our life is private. It's like sin is like mold. It grows best in the dark. We need to bring our lives to the light and live transparent. I'm not saying share every single thing with everybody using wisdom, as the text says, and discernment. But we do not live private lives. We live a life publicly as salt and light before the world. Would we get into each other's lives? Would we, in all love and wisdom and humility, gentleness, amen and amen, but would we feel a collective burden and responsibility for the health of our house? Would we healthily, in the best sense of the word, get in each other's business in that way? Would we hold each other accountable? Would we teach and admonish one another? See, this verse, it echoes Paul's goal for the whole letter in Colossians 1.27. Let's connect some dots here. Paul says this. This is the goal for the whole letter. He says, He, Jesus, is the one 
It'll be up on the screen. He, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. This echoes our exact text today. Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And I want to tell you, this is our goal as well. Paul's goal is to present the Colossians mature in Christ, a right view of Jesus, a mature view of him, a mature view of the gospel, a mature view of how to respond to it. I want to tell you, this is our goal as well, unapologetically, to present everyone at 26 West Church mature in Christ. I, I have an agenda for your life. I, I, it's not a secret. This is not some bait and switch. Like, I have an unapologetic agenda for your life. Maturity. Mature view of Jesus. Like a mature understanding of the gospel, a mature life responding to it, a, a mature identity in Christ, mature marriages, mature parenting, mature view of the world, mature theology. Like, right? This is what we are called to. Like, I have this agenda. I, I want you. I am compelled to. Like, this is what this is about, presenting one another to help spur each other on, to encourage one another to maturity in Christ. And part of that mature life is a life of worship, is a life of worship. Like, before we get to that in verse 16, like, we're not here to play church. We're not here to be entertained. We're not here to, like, eat some donuts, drink some coffee, shake some hands, and go home. Like, we are here to mature and grow and become more like Christ. Like, we unapologetically have an agenda here that we might grow and mature. Like, amen? Is it, this is the type of person I want to be a part of. Is this your, like, amen, right? We're not here to play church. All right, verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Now, I want to say, like, a theology of worship, which we could get into, is another message for another day. Uh, I was a worship pastor for about 10 years. I care about this stuff. This stuff matters. Like, but for this morning, I'm just going to leave it at, at, at this. What we sing matters. What we sing forms us. And we were made to worship. Like, what we sing gets into our bones. You don't remember, I, you don't remember the three points I had four weeks ago. And neither do I. Like, <laughs> like, you're off the hook. Like, you don't remember that? Like, well, what did Jose last preach on when he was here? You don't know. I don't, like, but we can all start singing the second verse of Amazing Grace. Without, like, these get in our bones. This stuff matters. We're not here to be entertained. We're here to be formed more in the image of Jesus. And worship forms us. It's what we were made for. We were made for God. We were made to worship. See, worship is at the heart of the lives of disciples. It's at the heart of our lives as disciples. And it's at the heart of our very gathering. Again, we have an agenda here. Our agenda, like, we come here as the collective family of God. We come here to open the scriptures. Like, we're opening the Bible. You don't want to hear just, like, my thoughts. We want to hear the authoritative Word of God. Like, open the book, right? Like, that's why we walk through books of the Bible. We come here to teach and to admonish. We come here to sing, to magnify the Lord. We just sing, great are you, Lord. Like, all the earth, this is where all of history is headed, is a united people around the throne of God singing, great is the Lord. We're a foretaste of that today. We come here to do all that we can do to try to help the Word of Christ dwell in a tr- dwell in us richly. That's why we're here, to help this word dwell in us richly. Like those carnitas, we want to saturate to our core. We want to saturate to our core. So big picture, if you're taking notes, number one, get your new clothes on. Number two, let Christ saturate to our core. 
And last movement, number three, all of life is all for Jesus. The church that we planted in Arizona uh, where I was the worship pastor, this was, this was, as we say, you know, helping people experience life in Jesus. What we said just over and over again is all of life is all for Jesus. And so I, I can't think of a better phrase to embody what verse 17 is getting at. Verse 17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, the big idea over this entire book, uh, kids, you haven't been in here this whole time, uh, but the big idea over this whole book that Paul's talking about with Colossians that we've come back to again and again and again, you can write this down, is Jesus is Lord over all. Jesus is Lord over all. His gospel is good news for the whole person. It's good news for the whole world. Jesus is king. As Abraham Kuyper said 100 years ago, as one of my all-time favorite quotes, he says this up on the screen. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. See, Jesus, what he does is he looks out over all creation, and he says, mine, because Colossians tells us he created it all, he sustains it all, and he is Lord over it all. There is not a single pocket of society that Jesus just looks at and shrugs his shoulders and says, I don't have anything to do with that. Jesus is Lord over all, Lord over all of life, Lord over all of your life. His kingdom reigns, and our calling is to serve him and to honor him and to glorify him in every single thing we do, from dishes to data entry, from shopping to, to, to shareholders meetings. All of life is all for Jesus. Amen? Look back at verse 17. Paul uses this language. And whatever you do, again, all of life, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Of course, what does that mean? Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. N.T. Wright, theologian, has a helpful definition. He says this up on the screen. Acting in someone's name means representing him and being empowered to do so. Representing them and being empowered to do so. So acting in the name of Jesus, just to keep it simple, like means acting in harmony with the nature and character of Jesus. And because we have the Spirit of Christ, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and gives you power, we actually have the ability to do it. Living in accordance with the way of Jesus, and we're actually empowered to do it because we have the Spirit of Jesus. To help fill this in, we were at our men's group uh, this last week on Wednesday morning, and we were talking about faith and work through Tim Keller's book, Every Good Endeavor, uh, uh, great resource. It's been a good time. It's not too late to jump in Wednesday mornings. Uh, and Keller talks about how in the ancient world, kings, they would set up idols and statues over their kingdom as images to represent the king, right? And, and to remind the world of his power. But in God's kingdom, there are not statues all throughout, uh, you know, symbols of bronze and gold and silver. No, he has chosen to make us his image. We are the image we are his representatives to the world. He doesn't have little statues everywhere. He has us. We are called to be the reflection. We are called to be the image. We are called to do this. So the question is, am I reflecting him well? Am I giving an accurate picture? Am I representing the king, his word, his way, his will, well? The question is, what do I need to start doing? Again, this isn't a guilt. This is an invitation. What do I need to start doing? What do I need to stop doing to better live in alignment with the calling that we have, with the identity we have to better reflect who I'm representing? If this sounds like, you know, abstract, it, it's not. We, we, we all get this in business. Like, think about it for a second. Like, we all get this in business. Like, whatever you do, 
when you're wearing your company logo, when you're wearing your employee badge, you're representing the company. You can't be like, well, I was off the clock. I had my Intel, you know, lanyard on. I was out wilding at 3 a.m., but I was off the clock. So, you know, I'm not, like, that is not going to go over well with HR, right? Like, that's the reality here. Like, you're representing the company. You can't be, you know, doing a binger. Like, there's a reality. Like, you can't be doing this. You, you can't be wearing your Nike employee badge and then go fire up Instagram Live spouting off conspiracy theories with the tinfoil hat on and be like, the moon landing didn't happen, bro. You know, it was in a Hollywood studio. Like, that's not going to go over well for you. Like, you can't be rocking the Chick-fil-A polo and then post on social media like, Popeye's for life, baby. Like, it's not, you can't do this. You, you know uh, the Hogans are all saying, amen. You know? you know you're representing more than just yourself. And we rightly care about representing our company's name well. We should. Let us work with integrity. Let us work with honor. Let us represent well. But how much more should we care about representing Christ well, the one who died for us, who rose again, who gave us the spirit, who changed our lives, who s- took our sin and separated us as far as the east is from the west, who transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, who brought us from death to life? How much more should we care about representing him well? Amen? This is what we're called to. This is what we are called to, to be his representatives, ambassadors in all of life showing what human flourishing looks like under the rule and reign of God, the good king, Jesus Christ. Last line. The end of verse 17 there, it says, giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, three times in today's text, Paul says along these lines, be thankful, verse 15 says, singing with gratitude in your heart, verse 16, and here in verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The reality is the gospel fuels gratitude. The gospel fuels gratitude. When you truly understand grace, when you truly understand that everything you are and everything you have is a gift from God, you didn't earn it, you didn't achieve it, you just receive it as a gift from God, then you cannot help. When that, when that gets into us, then you cannot help but overflow with gratitude and praise. See, when the gospel gets into our bones, Gratitude flows from our lips. When the gospel gets into our bones, the, gospel, the gratitude flows from our lips. Show me an ungrateful person. Show me somebody that is entitled. And I would say, I don't know if the gospel has sunk in fully yet. True maturity is a life marked by gratitude. True maturity is a life marked by gratitude for who God is and thanksgiving for what God has So in closing, church, this whole 17-verse section that we've been walking through these last two weeks has been about casting a vision for how we're to live in this new kingdom and this new family of God. As those made alive in Christ, as those who've been risen with Christ, we have a responsibility. We have a calling to put on our new clothes of compassion, of kindness, of humility, of gentleness, of patience, of love. Put on on Christ in this new kingdom, in this new family. Show what life looks like in it. Get your new clothes on. But not just over us, in us. We are to let Christ dwell in us richly, down to the very core of who we are. And finally, as Christ saturates the whole of our being, we're to live this out in every aspect of life. All of life 
is all for Jesus, for Jesus is Lord over all. Let's pray. Let's respond together. Join me in prayer. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you're Lord over all. Thank you that you have more power than all. Thank you that we are safe with you. And thank you, Jesus, that you paid it all and that we are dearly loved. You give us this identity of dearly loved, as forgiven, as chosen. And then, Lord, you also call us out. You set us apart. You make us holy so that we might live distinct lives before the world. Holy Spirit, would you empower us that we might put on the new clothes of Christ? Would you empower us that we might live in a better way to show the world what you are like? Lord, help us put on these clothes. We need you. Help us do it for your glory. Help us do it for our joy, for you are the life. Your way is the good life. Help us do it for your glory, for our joy, and for the good of the world who is dying for a better way. Help us be faithful to this. I pray for these children in the room that this would be the only story they ever know. You, your word, your way. Would it dwell in us richly? Thank you for it, Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Sunday Gathering podcast. To learn more about 26 West Church, please visit our website at 26westchurch.org.